Well, how fabulous it is to be here. What an amazing building this is. It holds fantastic memories for me. MAYC gatherings, district youth events, concerts, celebrations, and of course so many services, including daffodil days and Sunday services and many more over the years. I worked with people who were based here when I worked for the connectional team of the Methodist Church, and for a while I worked just across the road in Parliament, and this place often acted as a sanctuary. So I'm glad to be here. And of course, this place has been part of many people's life and faith journeys across the generations. In our Old Testament reading, we hear of King David relaxing in his newly built palace after God has given him rest from all of his enemies around him, saying to the prophet Nathan, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God is just in a tent. I can only think that David felt it was inappropriate for God to be in a tent when a temple, a house, more like this maybe, could be built. So David decides he's just the person to build a house for God. But God, through the prophet Nathan, says no and tells him he's not the one to build a temple and that God actually had never needed a house, thanks very much. God sends a message to David saying, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you over all of my people. I've been with you wherever you have gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. David hadn't always had a palace. Remember that young boy, shepherd in the fields? God reminds him that in all those stages of his journey, God has always been with him. God was quite content in the tent <laughs> and wherever David had journeyed, God had been with him. That didn't need a house or a temple. But God does promise David that a house or temple will be built in due course. But it's for David's descendants to build, not David. This is a time that God had set aside for David to rest. But David wanted to start a new project. I'm a bit like that. I think I need a rest. And then as soon as I get the chance to have a rest, along comes something exciting to do. Oh, look, nice, sparkly, interesting things to do over there. David told himself it was a really worthwhile project and that it would be for the glory of God. I bet you've never heard anybody say that to you, have you? He even got Nathan the prophet to agree with him that it was a good idea. But God said that whilst David was called to a great responsibility, he wasn't called to do everything. Just because it seems like a good idea, 
just because it might seem right that it's to be done, doesn't mean that it's your job. Now may not be the right time. Like David, sometimes we need to wait and listen for what God has to, to say. For David, this was a time to rest, to stop worrying, planning, and striving for something that wasn't his to do. The words in this passage are a bit of a play on words. The Hebrew, bavit, or house, means dwelling place, and for David, a palace, for God, a temple. But the word also has another meaning, a household or family or dynasty. And when God replies to David, God uses that term like that. David had wanted to build God a house, a temple, but God says no. God will build a house, a dynasty for David. And says that God will continue to be with David's family, the dynasty, through the ages. So God isn't limited to this place, however amazing it is or any other place that we name the house of God. I wonder how many of you recognize God's spirit in this place where many have worshiped and worked before. And yet, stop and think, where are the other special places along the journey that you've taken to today? Where did you first really recognize the presence of God with you? Was it in a building? Or was it out in the beauty of creation? Was it the physical place that made it special, that helped you to recognize God's presence? Or might there have been people involved in making it feel that way? Places which might include the people in them that made you intensely aware of the presence of God that felt to you like the house of God. Think for a moment or two about those special places on your journey so far. And remember that when you moved on, or when other people moved on and you stayed behind, God was still there and God was still with you and with those who moved on. David hears from God about the, the past place of his nurture in the fields as a shepherd and how God has put him into a place of responsibility and challenge and that there will be a future place where David's descendants will build a temple. But best of all, in all of these situations, God is present. For us, the best of all is that God is with us that we belong to God's family and are loved. So that's the first thing I want us to remember, that God isn't limited to any house, however wonderful, 
And we can know that wherever our faith journey takes us, God is there. In our gospel reading, which is in two parts, we join Jesus on what comes over as a pretty busy day. The first part that Deacon Alley read for us tells of the disciples returning from their first mission of preaching and healing. They're tired and hungry, and Jesus calls them to rest. Sounds good, doesn't it? So they get in a boat to go to a solitary place. But the lake is surrounded by hills, and the people trying to follow Jesus can see them in their boat, and word gets around where they're going. And actually, when you're rowing a boat, it's a bit slower than people who can run at times and get there before you. So when Jesus and the disciples landed, a large crowd had run around to where they were. And we heard that Jesus had compassion on the crowd because they are like sheep without a shepherd. I think there might not have been quite so much compassion from the disciples. They're hungry, they're tired, they want to sit down to have a nice meal, tell Jesus all about their adventures, they've been on their first mission. How exciting is that? And I don't know about you, but if I'm hungry and tired, I'm not really at my best. And then, oh look, here come the crowds. How nice. In the verses between the two parts of our reading, the strangeness of the lectionary, is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So you can be reassured that at least the disciples did get something to eat, although it might not have been exactly what they'd had in mind. And then the next verses tell us of Jesus retiring for a while to pray, having sent the disciples down to the lakeside on their own, so they wouldn't be bothered by anybody trying to follow him. So there was a time of quiet and rest as well. But next there was a storm and Jesus walking on the water to calm the disciples. All of this before we get back to the second part of our reading where as soon as they got out of the boat, people came again from across the region, this time with many sick people to be healed. And those who touched even the edge of the cloak of Jesus were healed. Just a normal day then, not too much happening. But in those different situations, Jesus is there, showing compassion to the disciples and to the crowds. Offering the disciples a place of rest, teaching those in the first crowd who are looking for a leader, and helping those who come for healing. Compassion isn't pity from afar. It's not watching that terrible thing on TV and thinking, how sad is that? And then getting on with your everyday things. It's getting involved, it's getting your hands dirty. Jesus teaches the people, he feeds the people, he encourages the people to get rest, and he heals those who need it. Jesus was surrounded by people who needed to be made well, who were struggling with their relationships with God and with one another, just like we do. 
So the second thing I want us to remember is that God's promises are kept in Jesus, who was part of that dynasty of David, and who models for us God's love and compassion, working through incredibly busy days and helping those in need, but also taking the time to be replenished, to eat and to rest. Important reminders for us all, including anyone about to begin a new job in the next step of their ministry. Can you think of a time when you felt really exhausted, physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, maybe all of the above? Sometimes you have to press on, don't you? The parent whose baby never seems to stop crying, who's trying to work full time whilst not sleeping at night. The person who feels they're misrepresented or bullied at work. How grateful you are when somebody shows you compassion. Who are the people who've shown compassion to you? What difference did it make in your life? Dr. Sheila Cassidy has spoken about icon people who show us what God is like. Icons Greek for picture, image, likeness. And the Orthodox churches in particular use them in worship. If you presented a picture gallery of people who really show what God is like and have helped you, shown you compassion, who would be in that gallery? For me, there would be some Methodist ministers in particular who've been there for me when things were tough and who nurtured my faith. Also friends from my fellowship group when I was a teenager who've grown with me and were still there for one another. And many others who I've known throughout my life. Some are people who've received training and are recognized by the church for their skills and others less so. I think of a particular elderly man from my previous church, ooh, perhaps three churches ago now, and an incident which provides a snapshot of how he reflected the compassion of God. It was over 30 years ago when my first husband was terminally ill, just a few weeks before he died. I was leading a Sunday morning service where I'd turned up with things on bits of paper and asked people to read them. The and I'd written them out for them. At the door at the end of the service, this elderly man gave me back my piece of paper with another one, and he said, you wrote something down for me. Now I've written something down for you. As I left the church, I unfolded the piece of paper, and it said, Ruby, you are surrounded by our love. That was all. It's such a simple thing. And yet, 30 years later, it still brings a lump to my throat as I think about Ted. And it makes me feel closer to God. Small acts of compassion can make a big difference. Those crowds of people knew that Jesus cared about them and was alongside them, teaching them, drawing them nearer to God and healing them. We will have been aware of crowds in our own lives recently and expect to see more as things open up. 
As was said earlier, maybe some of us are really looking forward to it, but others will be very nervous. Last weekend, we saw close to capacity crowds watching the Wimbledon tennis finals and the Euro football final at Wembley. And of course, we think of those England footballers who were playing in that tournament. How tired would they have been after those weeks of intense pressure? All that talk of football coming home, the song being sung at every possible opportunity. What pressure does that put on them? Then to go to extra time, the crowd behind you, and on to the dreaded penalties, where one kick can go wrong and change the whole result. And for those three young black footballers who no doubt were totally gutted that they didn't score, to then have to put up with the racist abuse they were subject to overnight. That series had been their mission and they would have been exhausted without them being abused. I think we saw in the actions of Gareth Southgate a leader with compassion as he hugged those young men, particularly 19-year-old Bukayo Saka. What lessons are there for us, for leadership, from those who show compassion. I don't know if you remember about six months ago a video of a fractious meeting of the Handforth Parish Council which propelled its attenders into the spotlight. One of those who got a lot of attention was Jackie Weaver, the Chief Officer of Cheshire Association of Local Councils, who's also an ambassador of compassion in politics. Writing in one newspaper this week of her experiences since then, she acknowledges that there had been lots of good stuff, meeting new people, many from backgrounds different to her own. She said, though, that it had made her think a lot about both first and lasting experiences and recognise that it's people's kindness, generosity and warmth, not their individual skills or achievements, that have stuck with her. She also talks of getting abuse from trolls and bullies. And she offers three recommendations for revitalising the soul of our body politic. To tackle online abuse, to substantially enhance the standards of behaviour expected by local and national politicians, and to nurture an ethos of compassion, inclusion and kindness in every level of society. She concludes, take it from someone who's met many new people in the past few months. Kindness and compassion are more likely to win you friends and influence than their opposites. So my last point then is a challenge to each one of us. How, as we journey on from here, can we, as we seek to follow the Good Shepherd, follow the call to live as Good Shepherds for all those we meet? What situations, individually or collectively, are you going to be in in the next few months? Who are the people you will see? How can you Show them compassionate, compassion. Be a compassionate shepherd. We're not called to build a house for God. 
that puts false limits on God's presence. Wherever our journey takes us, God is there. God has promised us that God's house of care will go on through the ages. Know this morning that God loves you. See in Jesus the Good Shepherd, the personification of that love, reaching out to you with compassion. And let us go from here this morning, committed to being compassionate shepherds, seeing God's spirit in each person and in every situation we meet. Let us offer who we are and what we have to God for the next stage of our journey. And best of all, know God is with us. As the singers lead our next hymn and we hum behind our masks, it's really difficult when you can take your mask off to speak and you're still not allowed to sing. But let's make this hymn our prayer, particularly commit to those last words, take my talents, take my skills, take what's yet to be, let my life be yours, and yet let it still be me. Amen.